Heavenly Father, I thank you for um, bringing us all here safely, for giving us the opportunity to delve into your word and um, study what you say on how we should respond to money, to our possessions, to goods in general. And I pray that you'd um, speak through me and um, uh, help me exposit your word well and truthfully and um, accurately. Pray this in the name of Yeshua, Messiah. Amen. So before we start, can we get some review from last week? Just to, what are some things you remember that we talked about last week? If you were here. Stewardship does not mean what we thought it is. So what does it mean? It, stewardship is basically being a steward over somebody else's property. And, so, and we're more like partners. Yes. So last week we talked about the idea of that you're supposed to be a good steward of your money and your possessions and your goods. But as we saw from scripture, the only thing you're called a steward of or you're entrusted with is the gospel, um, this, your spiritual gifts, and the grace of God. So that's what you're a steward of. But better understood, the biblical model is partnership. Because partnership has more of an emphasis on not only the vertical, my relationship to God with my money and possessions, but also my relationship to others. So we looked at examples of, um, the, for example, the Philippian congregation is the only congregation that Paul calls his partners because they were supporting him financially. That he says they were helping him share the gospel because they were sending him money. So they were his partners. So we see this idea of horizontal relationships and horizontal obligations as well as our vertical obligations with money and possessions. Anything else? Any other principles from last week? Triangulation. Triangulation. What is triangulation? Because this is important because it will come up today. What's the idea of triangulation? God, others, and us. Okay. So we have a triangle. God, me, others. So this kind of has to do with the idea of partnership. So we often see I have an obligation to do this. And God is the provider of all my goods and my finances. So he's the one who provides for me. But he is also the one who provides for others. Particularly in scripture, you see this in relation to the poor. So... And triangulation has the idea of, I also have social responses to other people. So, as Yeshua teaches, as you'll see in the Proverbs, he says, don't just give to them because they'll give back to you, because if you give to them and they give back to you, you already have your reward. But instead, if you give or show care to somebody who can't repay you, Scripture talk says you have to be repaid based on just the way things work, and so if they can't repay you, your repayment has to come from somewhere, and where does it come from? God. So, this is an important theme, so keep this in mind as we go about, and as we start from today. Anything else? Any questions before we dive into this? This one, today's, we're just going to look at a lot of different uh, texts, and just simple, what does the Bible say about how we should respond to money? But first... A video from one of my favorite friends, Tom Copeland. Financial Moments with Tom Copeland. You can turn that off. You don't need to. Oh, I do. I don't know just fail. Ready? <coughs> oh, sorry, that's your foot. <laughs> no, 
<laughs> that was like a bar that went across. <laughs> So I should have expected technical difficulties. Yeah. I like that his face is in the corner. Let's refresh this. Sad. Financial moments with Tom Copeland. Money is neither moral nor immoral. Money is neither spiritual nor unspiritual. Money can be used to further God's kingdom or it can be used for evil. In fact, money is neutral as there is nothing inherently good or bad about money in and of itself. However, God is concerned about our attitudes or motives towards money. For example, in 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10, Paul warns of the dangers of the love of money. Here's what he said. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. It is the love of money that is a root of all kinds of evil, not money itself. The love of money is a worldly attitude that will destroy you and your family. <laughs> to overcome the love of money, check out BibleFinance.org. Yay! Okay, so, thoughts. I picked on him last week, so I'm going to do so again, and even later today, too. So, what did you think of what he said? What did he say? Money is, <laughs> basically, money is neutral. neutral. No, I mean, I yeah. heard it. Well, I mean, it's true. I mean, it's true. Money itself is neutral in how we view it and how we use it and how we spend it and how we treat it with other people. It's what makes it good or bad. So, do we agree with that? Yeah. 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 Look at Justin Bieber. <laughs> yeah, he kind of went over there. That's a good question. Yeah. too much money. Is he on Oh, no, don't worry, I don't talk about Justin Bieber. I avoid him when I can. Um, no, I think he's right. So, I picked on him last week, but this week, I think he's spot on. Um, money is neutral, and they he's right, they have immense dangers, like, in the case of Justin Bieber, Lindsay Lohan. Insert celebrity here, you always have problems and temptations that come with money. So, but, it's not they're not bad in themselves. They are, really are neutral. And, in fact, Scripture kind of talks about that goods, like possessions, money, are good to have. It's good to have stuff. And we're going to look at it a bit today. But they do have dangers. And if you notice on your I, uh, I guess it's B for you guys, um, God has always intended to bless his creation. Always intended to bless his creation in his work as consummator. So stuff, possessions are a blessing. So it's good. But it's dangerous, and it can lead to idolatry. So I have a footnote there to a book called The God of Israel and Christian Theology. If you want to look more into the idea of what it means for God as consummator, I, rec- I um, defer over to Solin, Sulin. I've heard his name pronounced both ways, so I don't know how you say it. Um, but the idea of God as consummator is that God's plan for creation um, has always been to bring about fullness of life, and blessing in him. Um, it's commonly thought that God's primary dealings with creation are for redemption, for salvation, to save people from sin. But I think that's more of a secondary aspect. I would say God's primary aspect... Okay. Um, here. There are two Bibles. and Oh. 
There's some Bibles, and they're here. So take one. So uh, just to backtrack. Um, I think, and this is where I would defer to Sulin because he makes the case for this, and I think he does a very persuasive job, that God's... I'll wait for you guys to get settled. Yes, okay? Do we need more chairs? There's one out, there's one out here as well. There's one outside. Ready? Okay, so, uh, just to repeat, it's see, I think that in Scripture you see that God's intended goal for all creation is to bring about consummation, or fullness of life, fullness of blessing in Him, in relationship with Him. Not just, and a way to that is His work as Redeemer, and um, the work of Yeshua obviously are the biggest, biggest role in that. But we'll see, He makes the case for... Um, God's blessing as one of the key themes of scripture. So we're going to talk about that, but if you want more on that topic, I defer to Solon. Um, so, Roman numeral two, what does the Bible say? So we're just going to go through a lot of texts tonight and see what the Bible actually says. The first thing that I want to point out that scripture talks about is that goods are good. Stuff is good. Material mm-hmm. things are actually a good thing. So, um, obviously, in excess, they are bad. You, there's a lot of materialism in modern-day Christianity, and among us, even. Um, but it's good to have things. Um, just look, we're not going to turn there, but Genesis 1 and 2. We, I mentioned it a bit last week. God created abundantly and blessed his creation. Um, then he gives it to people as his vice regents for their good. Um, think about how many types of fruit there are in the world. Is there any reason to have like hundreds of types of apples? What could be a reason for that? Making different apple pies. Making different apple pies. <laughs> Why would that be important? <laughs> do, do different people like different kinds of apples? Yeah, it's almost as if God wanted us to enjoy creation and said, I know people like different things, so I'm going to create a bunch of different things. So there's an obscene amount of different fruits, vegetables, uh, even meats that we like to eat. Um, And that, I think, is a big indicator that God wanted to spoil us in creation and wants to bless us and wants us to enjoy creation. Obviously, it's been corrupted by sin, but... That's what it's headed to. That's what we're headed to, is that fullness of life and blessing. Um, Sulin points out that in Genesis 1, I think it's like six times, uh, it says God blessed his creation. He blesses things. He blesses. He blesses. So this stuff is inherently good. It's okay to like things. And it's for humanity's good. And so now we're going to start jumping around the text. Uh, turn with me to Psalm 65. 9 through 13. Psalm 65, 9 through 16. Page 852. Which 9? Oh, that's a good point. Probably uh, <laughs> the parentheses 9, so 10. Yes, 10 through the end. Can I have somebody read that? I will. 
Okay. You care for the earth and water it. You enrich it greatly with the river of God full of water. You provide them grain and prepare the ground, soaking its furrows and settling its soil. You soften, you soften it with showers and bless its growth. You crown the year with your goodness. Your tracks overflow with riches. The desert pastures drip water. The hills are wrapped with joy. The meadows are clothed with flocks, and the valleys blanketed with grain. So they shout for joy and break into song. Somebody describe this passage. Somebody in your own words. What is it talking about? How beautiful and abundant the earth is. Yeah, how beautiful and how much God cares for the earth and how much he, he ble- it says he blesses its growth. Um, he enriches it greatly. This is abundance language. This is beautiful language. This is look how much God cares about his creation and puts into it. And he provides them, presumably the people of Israel, but people in general, he provides them with grain. That through his blessing of creation, God provides goods. Okay? So, next text, Psalm 104, in general, describes this. Um, Let's look at verses uh, 27 through 30, specifically. But this whole psalm kind of demonstrates this idea. Okay? Uh, Can I have somebody else read 27 through 30? Thirty. I can read. All of them look to you to give their food when they need it. When you give it to them, they gather it. And when you open your hands, they are well satisfied. When you open your hands, they are um, If you hide your face, they vanish. If you hold back their breath, they perish and return to their dust. If you send out your breath, they are created and you renew the face of the earth. So what is it? What kind of work of God is it describing? Human life and provision. Um, throughout this psalm, he's describing uh, all the varieties of animals, and then he says, "They look to you. They look to you for their food." And uh, if you think about it, this seems to parallel Yeshua's teaching, saying, "Don't worry about what you wear or what you eat, because look at the birds. My Father provides for them. How much more will He provide for you?" He says. So the psalmist here is saying, "Look how God provides for all of His creatures," and we can infer if. Uh, we're creating him in his image. How much more will he provide for us? Okay? Any questions, comments? Okay. We're just going to look at a lot of texts. Um, next, we'll go to Ecclesiastes 3, verses 12 and 13. Ecclesiastes 3. 12... And thirteen. <coughs> okay. Somebody can can somebody read twelve and thirteen? Three, twelve, and thirteen. Esther, can you read it? Okay. Um, I know that there is nothing better for them to do than to be happy and enjoy themselves as long as they live. Still, 
The fact that everyone can eat and drink and enjoy the good that results from all his work is a gift of God. So this, this, the general context of this passage, he's saying, what, is a, what does a worker gain from doing work? And um, one of the things he said, there's nothing better than him to be happy and enjoy themselves as long as they live. Still, uh, the fact that everyone can eat and drink is a result of what? It's what? It's a gift of God. So, we can conclude that material possessions and goods are a gift and a blessing from God to be enjoyed. That God doesn't just give you stuff because you need it, but God gives you, can give you stuff because you enjoy it. And because he loves you, and he wants to bless you. That um, it can be taken to the extreme, the idea of the prosperity gospel, you know, uh, you know, send us money and God will bless you. You know, that's bad. Or God just wants to bless you and give you things. But it's, there's an element of truth there, that God does want you to enjoy creation, and God does give you things and bless you for your enjoyment, not just for your needs. Does anybody else think that's pretty awesome? We have this notion of like, oh, I just have to obey God and, you know, God loves me. Yeah, but God provides things for your enjoyment. So, uh, that's enjoyment. <laughs> enjoy it. There's no shame in that. There's no nothing bad in that. There's nothing, nothing bad in enjoying. Besides the terrible sugar in it. Just... <laughs> Chemical. Yeah, and all the processed stuff. Yum. But it's delicious. Organic cakes. But you get the point. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll watch another video by Tom Coleman before we move on. I like, I like him. He's entertaining to me. Anyway, uh, any questions before we move on to the next section? Who is Tom Copeland? This guy I found on YouTube. <laughs> he, enter, he entertains me. I don't know why, but he does. Gonna do it again. Yay! Yay! Technology. Oh, no. Okay. I also love the music. moments with Tom Copeland. What do these verses say about the ownership of money and material things? Psalms 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. In Job 41.11, God said, Everything under heaven belongs to me. And in 1 Chronicles 29, David praised God with these words, Everything in the heavens and the earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. Since the absolute truth is that God owns everything, then logically we are stewards or managers of the money and material things that God has entrusted to us. God is the owner. As stewards, we need to look to the owner, that is God, as to how we should manage his resources. With over 2,000 references... We watched a bit of that last week, but I wanted to focus this time about the first part. So, he cited a bunch of verses, um, which I have listed to you there. What do they teach? God owns everything. Is he wrong? No. no. God owns everything. <laughs> Clearly God owns everything. So I like... I like he's entertaining. Um, however, that is not the whole case. God does own everything. But turn with me to Exodus two, uh, 2017. I think that might... I think the 2.17 might be a typo there. <laughs> 
Or the 215 might be a typo. Let me check. Yeah, it's supposed to be 2015. Mm. Yeah, alright, so look at 20, so fix that, it's 2015. So read 2015 and then, yeah, 2015. Do not steal. Do not steal. 20 verse, do not steal, okay? Now skip to <laughs> Exodus 22, 1 through 4. Exodus 22, 1 through 4. In some, uh, in this, it's, yeah. Actually, start at the end of 21, and then read 1 through 3. If someone steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters or sells it, he is to pay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If a thief caught in the act of breaking in is beaten to death, it is not murder, unless it happens after sunrise. In which case, it is murder. A thief must make restitution, so if he has nothing, he himself is to be sold to make good the loss from the theft. Okay, now, one more. Flip over to 23, 4 through 5. 23, 4 through 5. We're good, keep going. Can somebody read 23, 4 through 5? Anybody? Aaron, can you read 23, 4, and 5? Oh, Oh, thank you. If you come upon your enemy enemy's ox or donkey straying, you must return it to him. If you see the donkey, which belongs to someone who hates you, lying down helpless under its load, you are not to pass him by, but to go and help him free. Okay, so... Uh, what are all these laws? What do they have to do with? Stealing. Stealing. And what does stealing imply? Ownership. Ownership. These are all laws about property rights. So, in order to have property right laws, you need ownership. And so if God owns everything and you own nothing, there's no reason for property right laws. So the very fact that there are commands saying, you shall not steal, you shall not covet which is wanting your, your neighbor's stuff, the very fact that you have these commands imply personal ownership, that you own these things. And like the idea of the year of Jubilee, or, or the sabbatical year, or, um, yeah, the year of year Jubilee. Jubilee, just giving back the land back or to the family who originally owned it implied family's owned land. It imp- implies private property. <laughs> so we, can ha- we do have dual... Or, God owning everything, but um, you do have personal ownership. That's your next blank. Because there are property laws. That's the last one. There are, it must be personal ownership because there are property laws. Just don't steal it for God. Yes. Um, and just an interesting note that my professor pointed out. The idea of seeing a donkey on the, your enemy's donkey or somebody you hate uh, donkey on the road and you helping pick it up or you know returning it to him, he he said, "Where do you think the, uh, Yeshua gets the idea of uh, love your neighbor?" It's from there. 
taking care of your neighbor, even if they hate you. No, I, th- I think it's interesting. So, uh, this is under B4. His property is a repeated phrase in all these portions. So, when coupled with the first uh, verses that Tom Copeland so generously shared, it's clear that God owns everything, but you own your possessions too. So, stuff that you own, you actually own it. It is God's, but it is yours. In the same way that the land of Israel, God can say, this is my land, but it's your land too. He can, he can have this dual ownership idea going. Any questions? Comments? We talked about last week, uh, we mentioned this a bit last week, that I think I'm more likely to care about my stuff if I realize it's God's, but it's also mine. I'm a little selfish, so I want to care for my stuff as well. Um, okay, so, as we mentioned before, there are immense dangers to, uh, to material possessions, but scripture outlines how, we're sh- how should we respond. So we're going to first look at wise principle, wisdom principles to responding to money and possessions. So turn with me to Psalm 37. So t- Psalm 37, 21 through 26. recognize here is to recognize that all gifts are from God. So the wise do what in response? What is this uh, wise, righteous person being commended for? Being generous. Who said that? I said Okay. Yeah, so um, the wise are generous, but the wicked don't pay back. They don't repay loans and don't repay what they borrow. But God cares for those who are generous. Um, does that, can anybody think of a parallel passage to that? The idea that God cares for those who are generous. This is echoed in uh, the New Covenant scriptures. Second Corinthians 9. Which says? Um, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. Or if you sow generously, you'll reap generously. Because? God loves a cheerful gift. That's it. Exactly. Paul reiterates this teaching saying, God loves a cheerful giver. God cares for a cheerful giver. Um, God cares for somebody who's generous. So this isn't just this passage that teaches it. It's reiterated by Paul. Um, Right now, by the way, we are under uh, C, responses to material possessions, wisdom. And now we're on 2, Psalm 112. I don't remember how long. What was um, B3. B3? Mm-hmm. Like, what were the blanks? 
God owns. Owns everything, but you own your possessions too. And what's the one under Psalm 37? Uh, recognize that all gifts are from God, and then uh, while the wicked do not pay back, God cares for those who are generous. Psalm 112. I'm still flipping there. Uh, just read one through three. Can I have somebody who hasn't read yet? Psalm 112, verses one through three. Hallelujah! How happy is anyone who fears Adonai, who greatly delights in his mitzvot. His descendants will be powerful on earth, a blessed generation of upright people. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness stands forever. Okay. So God does what to this upright person? He blesses them. Um, and what is... This person recognizes that that blessing comes, comes from Nonai. And what do they do and respond? How do they respond to Adonai? What, how are they described? They fear God. They fear God. They obey God. Where? In fear him. CI2. Oh, fear or CI2? Okay, uh, fear or in obey. <laughs> CI2. <laughs> and obeys or fears anything along those lines. No, it is not. It's saying there's think? notes at the bottom. That's just a footnote. Mm-hmm. For further reading and further education. You don't see those in high school, do you? Okay. Um, it's interesting to note that later in the psalm it talks about being gracious and lending. So um, they're responding to God in obedience, recognizing that. So it's not. So the upright is blessed by God, and they respond in obedience and continued obedience. Okay? Um, turn to one of my favorite passages on money and possession. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 10 through 6-3. I really like what this passage teaches. Here, we're going to start actually at verse uh, parentheses 13. Or regular 12. Um, actually, that's not what I want. Ah. Let me just check which one. Oh, no. 6, 1, and 1 and 2. 6, 1, and 2. That's what we will be reading. For this interesting portion, um, can somebody read 6, 1, and 2? I have seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on people. The taste in which God gives someone riches, wealth, and honor, so that he lacks nothing that he wants, but God does not give him the power to enjoy them. Some stranger gets to enjoy them. This is meaningless, evil, sick. You, did you catch what he's saying? Yes. Somebody sum up what he's saying. 
people that are super wealthy and unhappy. Why are they unhappy? Or what is what is this terrible thing he's describing? They have everything and they don't need anything. And I think if you don't need God, then you're going to be really miserable. So. You, need, you need God to enjoy the wealth. Yeah. But he's also saying that it's a terrible thing uh, to have wealth and be unable to enjoy it. Right. So. That's not to say everybody that has wealth doesn't have any wealth. Yeah. He just, yeah. But isn't yeah. that go with greed? You never have enough? Well, yeah, I mean, the passage before is talking about greed, but he's just kind of saying that um, that it's really not, it's terrible to have all this wealth or have possessions and not being able to enjoy it. Which would imply that you can enjoy it in a healthy way. Exactly. Which means that it is a good thing to have possessions and enjoy it. So, uh, your last blank there is, it's good to enjoy God's gift. If you notice that in this, God is the one who provides them for everything, but God has not allowed them to enjoy it. Um, And he says, this is terrible. This is a terrible, terrible thing to have all these possessions, have all these goods, and not being able to enjoy what the joy they bring which means that it's a good thing to enjoy them. Any questions? I think that's pretty cool, too, that God you know, does intend to bless us and does intend us to enjoy creation, and it's said to be a terrible thing if we can't. All right? So these are some wise responses to enjoy our wealth, to respond in obedience, to be generous. Um, now are some, here are some foolish responses. Um, turn to Psalm 49. I know we're doing a lot of flipping tonight, but it's good. It's a good exercise. Okay, so 49 verses, okay, parentheses, 5, so. So, regular 6... <laughs> This is so confusing. I have I have all the like NAS. Yeah, <laughs> it's good. All right, so six um, through eight. Actually, six through seven is fine. Why should I fear uh, when the days bring trouble? When the evil evil my pursuers surround me, the evil of those who rely on their wealth and grows stronger than they are. Hmm. And I'm just going to read the parallel passage, uh, Psalm 52, 7, or 9 in this. Uh, this fellow would not make God his refuge, but trusted in his own great wealth, relying on his evil plots. So the first foolish thing to do with money is to trust in your own wealth and be arrogant in your own wealth. And that is why in Colossians 3, 5, I will turn there so you don't have to worry about it, um, Paul can say... That wealth is that um, greed and wealth is idolatry. In three five, he says, um, "Therefore, put to death the earthly part of your nature: sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is a form of idolatry." This is why he can say it because some people trust in their wealth and rely on money and goods um, instead of God, and he says this is idolatry. So, hence why Paul can also say the love of money is the root of all evil. Um, Key, the love of money, not just money itself. (coughs) 
Okay. Uh, turn. Trust and idolatry. Yeah. There. Trust and idolatry. Two. Yeah. Okay. And turn now to Psalm 62, um, verse 11. Normal, not parentheses. I don't know why I say normal. Can somebody read that for me? Can somebody read 62.11? Don't put your trust in extortion. Don't put false hopes in robbery. Even if wealth increases, don't set your heart on it. Okay, so what is he condemning? He's saying don't do what? Don't steal. So use wealth for oppression or gain wealth falsely or gain wealth unethically. If you read throughout the prophets, this is a huge issue. One of the primary concerns of the prophet and one of their primary rebukes of the nation of Israel and the people of Judah is that they have been gaining wealth unethically, that they have been oppressing others in order to get rich. That they have been, you know, stealing people's land and not giving it back or um, charging interest on their fellow Israelite, which is prohibited in the, in the Torah. And so this is one of the major reasons that Israel gets exiled, is for their oppression of the poor, for their um, oppressive means of gaining wealth. Um, uh, it's also kind of, actually, no, I'll mention that later. So... So, as we see, don't gain wealth unethically and don't use wealth for oppression. Just read throughout the prophets. There are harsh rebukes for it. Um, Psalm 73 is a long one. We're not going to read it. But to sum up, his primary uh, lament is that he says, I envied the wicked. And he condemns, and envying the wicked... When you're obedient yet struggling financial, he says this is foolishness. He says, I almost slipped. I did this. I was jealous of the wicked. Um, this is actually my favorite psalm. Um, he, he says, they were, I saw the, uh, the wicked, that they were prosperous, that they were wealthy, that they were doing well, and that God wasn't doing anything to them while I was here struggling. And he says, this is, this, this is terrible. But then he turns it around and says, um, you know, I have no hope in heaven or on earth except for you, pretty much. And it's a... Uh, bold proclamation of faith, but he still denies, or the recognizes the foolishness of responding by envying the wealthy. So there are some foolish um, responses to wealth. Okay? So we will next go into looking at just wise principles in dealing with money and possession. These are fairly straightforward. A lot of them are out of Proverbs because, well, Proverbs wisdom literature. Um, So we'll just look at some of these. So Proverbs 10, 5. Proverbs 10, 5. I actually heard a story of a guy who, what is he taught like motivation or leadership and he used just Proverbs and everyone was like, where did you get this? This works so well. It's amazing. And he's like, well, it's just Proverbs. So Proverbs is just good wisdom. So I will read um, 10 verse 5, or 4 and 5. Idle hands bring poverty, diligent hands bring wealth. A sensible person gathers in summer, but he who sleeps during harvest is an embarrassment. So 
he just says, work hard and don't be lazy. And be careful and attentive with your work. Be Produce good work. Do your work to the best of your abilities. It's interesting that in his rebuke of Israel, the prophet Amos rebukes Israel for producing mediocre goods. He, he includes that as one of their sins, that they're producing subpar goods, that their, their work is <coughs> low quality. And he says, and it's one of the sins he rebukes them for. So work hard and produce well and be careful with your work. Okay, so flip another page to 1128. Anyone willing to read that? He who trusts in his riches will will fall, but the righteous will flourish like sprouting leaves. Okay, and I will read another parallel text in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8. As soon as I get to it. In 1 Timothy 6, 8 says that um, so if we have food and clothing we will be satisfied with these so he's just summing up if we have what we need we'll be satisfied and Paul also talks about um, in uh, Philippians 4 that he has learned to be content in all um, circumstances a lot of people see that as like you, you need to be content all the time but in the general context of that uh, Philippians 4 passage he's talking about resources about finances he says I've learned to be okay with being needy and being in plenty. He says, I've learned to be content. So, the principle we can hear, have here is be content with what you have. That God gives some more, some less, but we need to be content with that. And recognize that there's all blessing and gifts from God. As James says that every good thing, gift is from above. From the Father of lights. Okay? Uh, turn to Ecclesiastes 11, 1 and 2. Ecclesiastes is actually a really good book. It's really confusing, but it's very good. I highly recommend it. Can somebody read 1 and 2? Chapter 11. Chapter 11, 1? Yes, 11, 1 and 2. Send your resources out over the seas. Eventually you will reap a return. Divide your merchandise into seven or eight shares, since you don't know what disasters may come on the earth. Okay. So, what is he advising? Investing. Hmm? Investing. Investing. He's saying, uh, you know, spread out your resources. Because you don't know when disaster might strike. He, he does say plan ahead. Proverbs says that all over the place. You know, plan ahead. But here it, it really says invest in various places because you never know, you know, when a stock is going to crash or, you know, you're going to lose finances in a certain area. But you have backup plans. That's pretty much what he's saying is don't put all your eggs in one basket. Spread them around so you are stable in case disaster um, arises. So plan ahead and invest so that you'll be prepared in case of disaster. Like I said, pretty seems pretty straightforward, obvious wisdom principles, but 
Straight out of Scripture. Okay? Um, now turn back to Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. Feel free to stop me if anybody has any questions or comments or concerns or thinks I'm a heretic. Okay. Can somebody read uh, 3, 9, and 10? So, and then flip even further, Proverbs 31, um, verses 18 through 22. Proverbs 31 is talking about what? A virtuous woman. And see how she's described. That's fine. I want to highlight, obviously she works hard. A lot of the passages in Proverbs cited just advocate for working hard, obviously. But the key is, verse 20, is that um, generosity is commended. And as we see in er, 3, 9, 10, that God repays um, uh, and cares for those who are generous. That here she opens her arms to the poor or, uh, she reaches out to embrace the poor and opens her arms to the needy. So she cares for those less fortunate. And um, in chapter 3, the, pa- the first fruits he's just off- talking about is ac- the actual you know, offering of first fruits. Um, so he's just recognizing that all gifts are from Adonai. We're going to talk more about that idea next week, about, I guess, the idea of giving to God and what that looks like, what that even means, and the tithe in general. But here just... God repays generosity and recognizes generosity. As we talked about triangulation, that's why I wanted to highlight the poor in this, that you have this relationship going on. So keep this in mind, because this comes up a lot, or at least is implied a lot. Okay? So, and now flip all the way back to the beginning of Proverbs, chapter 1, verses 32 through 35. Life is a highway. What? Life is a highway. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, 32 through, I think I mean 30. Just 32 and 33. I think 35 is a typo. May somebody read 32 and 33. <laughs> yes, 132 and 33. Um, so they will bear the consequences of their own way and be overfilled with their own schemes. For the aimless wandering of the thoughtless will kill them, and the smug overconfidence of fools will destroy them. And 33, actually. 
but those who pay attention to me will live securely, untroubled by fear of misfortune. Okay. So, generally, throughout Proverbs, um, this is not a book of promises and guarantees. This is a book of generalities and practical wisdom and uh, principles. And if you do this, this is typically the result. But as you'll see in Proverbs, kind of like here, is that life is uncertain. That there are difficulties that can arise when you've done nothing wrong. Because that's just the way life is. That calamity can arise out of nowhere. And you just kind of have to deal with it. So recognize that stuff happens. Hence why investing is good. Because you never know why when something can happen. And you want to be prepared for it. And uh, just to kind of close on these... Uh, principles of um, on these different principles just know that uh, Yeshua echoes all of these principles um, specifically in Luke's gospel I have a bunch of references there you can look at them but Yeshua really just reiterates pretty much all of these and um, if you read through Luke the idea of wealth and possessions and particularly the poor is a huge issue for him and is a huge topic for him so I recommend um, next time you read Luke keeping an eye out for his language of money and possessions. Okay? So, um, now we're going to move on to the idea of giving to God as worship. Who's heard that idea? Because we talked about it last week, so all of you guys should. So, um, we read Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 already. It's usually cited that to say, we are to give back to the Lord, meaning you have to give out of your resources. Give, give, give. Um, because God will repay you, God will bless you if you give. But what this is really just talking is about is the actual gift of the first fruits, which went to who? Priests. Yeah, the, the priests, the Levites. That they were giving to the Lord, but how were they giving to the Lord? What? How, who is the recipients of their gifts? The Levites actual people and that's why we'll see next week we'll talk about more so why god can say you're robbing me because they're not giving giving the tithe um because they're robbing the levites because that's all the levites have but we'll talk about that more next week um turn to psalm or proverbs 14 31 Somebody read, please. Aaron, can you read it again? Oh, thank you. I can do it. Okay, Stella can do it. The oppressor of the poor insults his maker, but he who is kind to the needy honors him. Okay, so oppressing the poor dishonors God. So remembering and being gracious to the poor honors him. So, pretty straightforward. This is kind of the idea of, you know, giving to God as worship. But again, as we talked about in triangulation and partnership um, last week, uh, your giving to God is really giving to other people. Um, think about, uh, I think I have it on the next page, is that, um, or, yeah, Roman numeral, little Roman numeral three, the principle is that you can worship God by giving to others. Think about how we talked about Philippians 4 and the Philippians' relationship to Paul. He describes their gift as worship, but 
they didn't know that they were worshiping God. They didn't think I'm giving back to God because he's given to me. They said, I want to help further this man's ministry. I want to um, further the spread of the gospel through Paul's work. And so they gave to him. And Paul says, you didn't realize it, but you were worshiping God by doing that. So again, remember triangulation. This is a key theme. So, and again, with the idea of giving to the poor, don't, it's just, don't just give to people who can repay you. Because if you can't, your reward is from who? Think about the triangle. If you, if, if you give to others and they can't repay you, you must be repaid. Who's repaying you? God. So, this is why uh, I thought of it too late last week. Yeshua can say, um, those who you know, sound trumpets when they go to give their offering at the temple or to, you know, pay money to the temple that they've already received their reward because their reward is being honored and recognized by man. But if you give in secret, if your um, left hand doesn't know what your right is doing, then you have a reward because nobody's repaying you for giving, for being generous. So, but your God who sees in secret will repay. So that's pretty awesome. And I have listed here a quote on a book by a, a guy named Craig L. Blomberg. Uh, it's a book called Neither Poverty Nor Riches. It's pretty much a book all about this subject that we've been talking about. And he says, Nevertheless, it is a shocking rebuke in a culture where reciprocal responses of hospitality, i.e. the time of Yeshua, were deeply embedded in socio- sociology of honor and shame. Have we improved at all today in inviting the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, or their contemporary equivalents? I just thought that was uh, a nice challenge because in Yeshua's day, there's the idea of reciprocity. I do something for you, you do something for me. And so I do something for you because I will get something from you. And that's why Yeshua says, don't, don't do that. Don't play into this system because you have a greater benefactor. You have a greater um, person who will repay you. And so I just wanted to include this quote because it's a good challenge of have we improved at all? Do we just give to those who can give back to us? Or do we um, invite to you know, banquets, as Yeshua described, um, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the outcasts of society, the lowly, less fortunate? So I just want you guys to really consider and think about that. Um, and we'll, um, in summary, so any questions before we summarize and Okay, so the Bible has a lot to say about how we are to manage our money, um, and it gives us both wise and foolish approaches. I just kind of gave you a few. Read through Proverbs. Ecclesiastes has a bit. Psalms have some. It's all over. Um, The Torah has plenty, too. Just read through, and you'll see these principles. Um, Remember, money and possessions are good, but can also lead to idolatry if you put your trust in it and it's your source of absolute joy and pleasure. But God did intend to bless us with goods and still does. And so it is good to enjoy um, his uh, creation. The most obvious and simple example of this is who, I think. Well, that's, that's true. But who's, but I think our Messiah exemplifies this as well. Um, he's invited to how many feasts and banquets? Quite a bit. 
He goes to... He's a fun guy. He's a fun guy. Yeah. He goes to Pharisee's house. He goes to, you know, tax collector's house. And what are they doing there? They're eating. They're drinking. Oh, my gosh. Heresy. Heresy. Yeah. I think this is a heretic. I probably But Yeshua clearly doesn't oppose eating a good meal. Because he does it every so often. And he, there's, he doesn't seem to have a problem with that. Remember, um, the rebuke that the Pharisees had for John the Baptist was that, um, that he didn't eat or drink, so he has a demon. But they said, well, the Son of Man, Yeshua, comes eating and drinking, and they say he's a glutton and a sinner. So, he, so clearly he's eating and drinking, and, that, and he doesn't see a problem with this. So neither should you guys. So if you go out to a nice restaurant and enjoy a nice meal... That's a gift from God, and you should enjoy that. But obviously don't, you know, overkill and overdo it and rely on all that. But it's okay to eat and enjoy God's gifts. Um, so a balance, a balance is needed between enjoying God's goods, um, God's provision, and this is kind of the balance you, or the struggle you see in Scripture, um, finding the balance between enjoying God's creation, enjoying God's good, and yet caring for the oppressed and caring for the poor specifically, again, as we'll see in future lessons, the poor in our midst. Torah's, one of Torah's main concerns is, what do you, there should be no poor among you. There shouldn't be. But if there are, this is how you're supposed to treat them and inter- interact with them. So, how does this apply to you guys? Um, one, uh, don't show favoritism and hospitality. Um, so reach, about, reach out to the less fortunate in our community and the community in general um, if you can and don't expect repayment uh, we're going to talk about we're going to have a whole lesson about what the Bible says about you and the poor so um, that's down the road but we'll talk more about that later um, James 1-4 through he rebukes the congregation that he's writing to for showing favoritism to a rich person and neglecting the poor. And he says, this is inconsistent with your faith in Yeshua. This is a sin. This is transgression of Torah. This is terrible. So, we shouldn't show favoritism as a community. If somebody, you know, obviously kind of poor comes in, we should treat them equally. Um, So that's a communal thing. Uh, Next, let's just thank God for his material possessions and enjoy them. It's not bad. It's okay. It, God does like it when we enjoy His creation and thank Him and, and uh, are grateful for it. So let's let's do that. But again, don't neglect the horizontal. Don't re- neglect um, the horizontal aspects of giving, because that can be an act of worship, as we've we've seen. Um, but ultimately, wisdom principles: just work hard, invest, plan wisely with your money. You know, it's okay to. You know, seek the biblical financial counselors. I was talking, I don't know who I was talking to last week. Um, that just because their engagement with scripture is kind of weak, and because, you know, they talk about stewardship, that's, you know, they might not have the best discern- or discussion of scripture, but they give good financial advice, and that's okay. You know, it's good to, if they give good financial advice, you can listen to them. Okay? But ultimately, God is the one who's the source of blessing and security. And the world is uncertain, so things do happen. Okay? So, there's just a couple minutes left. Do you have any questions? Comments? Concerns? 
more accusations of heresy. Um, just, if you would, take the last five minutes or so to kind of look over the, the reflection question, spend some time this next week uh, kind of thinking about these things, um, and hopefully write some things down, and then, uh, Vlad, can you close this in prayer in like five minutes? I'll take a minute. Aaron, I have the same problem. Can you hear him? Yeah. It's kind of here. Hey, you have stuff. I know you have stuff. Wait, that's a typo. I just yeah, noticed a typo. <laughs> there should be no my in there in the first question. <laughs> that is a typo. I don't care what you think about my stuff. Don't think about my stuff. <laughs> I looked at that. <laughs> That's why I laughed, sorry. Yeah, actually, when you laughed, I looked down and was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure how to answer it. <laughs> it's like, not, don't, you, you shouldn't I care about my <laughs> Did you just read it? Then? Did you just read it? Oh, God. Is this God's No, it's not Catholic. I'm investing my money in possession. Since I own everything. You could take it that way. Well, it's the worst time. Don't think about it. Let's let's open your phone. Let's look at your spending reports. No, no, please don't. My roommates wouldn't appreciate it. What? I'm just reading this in context of your yeah, dude, it's not true. <laughs> you see my goodness. <laughs> We're so happy for you. Thanks, son. It's a weird thing. He's a heretic after a fuck. I knew it. Spend some time <laughs> reflecting on your own <laughs> uh, money and possessions this next week, and uh, I don't know. And um, next week we'll come back and we'll we'll talk about uh, the tithe and what Scripture says about that, and just giving in general. So, Vlad, could you close us in prayer? <clears throat> Abba, thank you so much, God, for Jason, and thank you so much for uh, how you've given him uh, stewardship over his mind. <laughs> And uh, thank you for just his knowledge and his uh, his heart and his willingness to share it. Um, I ask that uh, we would continue to take this uh, teaching and apply it to our lives. And specifically, God, I ask that you would help us partner with you as we partner with each other, God. Um, 
Abba asked that we would truly see uh, loving on people uh, as the same as loving on you. Um, Abba, help us love people who are not in our situation. Whether it be those who are more wealthy than us or those who are less wealthy than us. Abba, don't allow us to see people's value in their physical wealth. But help us see people's value in the fact that you are all of our maker. Abba, bless our night in the name of Yeshua the Messiah. Amen.